we're here. Um, this evening is uh, quite thing. The songs tonight, they all have something to do. There was at least one line in them that has something to do with the message tonight. So that was a that was a blessing. So all of you who picked those favourites, the Lord was behind it. I'm sure. Let's just open in a word of prayer before we get started. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. Lord, we thank you for the rain, although in, in some ways it messes up our plans, but we know, Lord, that we need the rain. We need to uh, for things to grow, and uh, Lord, it's a, it's a blessing when it does come in that it, it gives life. It gives that um, what's needed for things to grow, and we thank you for it. We, Lord, we just pray now as we open your word and we look into your word, I pray that you would help uh, us to... Uh, just learn something from your word tonight or at least be reminded of the truths of your word and that we can uh, go from here encouraged and, and lord just please help us tonight uh, as we go through this message in jesus name amen so if you take your bibles into psalm 22 psalm 22 there's 31 verses we're going to read them all um, <coughs> Starting with verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O my God, I cry in the day, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee, and were delivered. They trusted in thee, and we're not confounded. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon them from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. But be not far from me, O Lord, O my strength, haste thee to help. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation I will praise thee. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him, all ye the seeds of Jacob, glorify him. And fear him, all ye the seed of Israel. For he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard. My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. 
They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the, he is the governor among the nations. All they that be fat upon the earth shall eat worship. All they that go down to the dust shall bow to him, and none can keep alive his own soul. A seed shall serve him, it shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he hath done this. I know it's quite long, but uh, it's, it's a very good psalm. And just so that we, uh, we read through the whole thing just before we uh, get started this evening. Psalm 22 is a psalm of suffering. It's also a psalm of crowning. It's a psalm of humiliation. It's a psalm of coronation. However, in the pulpit commentary, there is no psalm which has raised so much controversy as this one. The author of the psalm is not controversial. It's clear that it's David. The theme of the psalm is not controversial. It's a theme that teaches that after times of great suffering and persecution will come times of great prosperity and praise. The matter of controversy in Psalm 22 surrounds the identity of the one suffering. Now, some <coughs> believe that it's David because uh, it's a psalm of David. Some believe that he's describing himself. Others, myself included, believe that um, David is prophetically describing the sufferings of Jesus Christ. There can be no doubt that David was prophetically speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason we know this is because it speaks about it in the New Testament and it's nearly verbatim uh, how it's recorded in the New Testament. And they clearly link to this psalm that it's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, let's just turn to Matthew 27. Matthew 27 and beginning with verse 39. <clears throat> and they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocked him with the scribes and elders and said, He saved others himself. He cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him come down, um, down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now. If he will have him, for he said, I am the son of God. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Which is uh, <coughs> the direct quote there from Psalm 22. The writer of Hebrews 
clearly connects this psalm to the Lord Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 2, verse 12. Saying, I will declare thy name, my brethren. In the midst of the church, I will sing praise unto thee. So that uh, is nearly a direct quote. There's one difference. The the word congregation in verse 22 of Psalm 22 um, is supplied with the word church in Hebrews 12. Many commentators believe that Jesus Christ actually quoted the entire Psalm 22 while he was on the cross. Um, Charles Spurgeon is one of those. He believes that. Um, he thought it was likely that Christ quoted this psalm word for word while on the cross. The reason many believe this was the last sayings of Jesus Christ, which are recorded in the Gospels. Either they appear in this psalm or become the background of this psalm. Another commentator said that in this psalm, we do not view the crucifixion standing beneath the cross looking up, but hanging on the cross, looking down. We get to see in this psalm what went through the mind of Jesus Christ while on the cross. We get a photograph of Jesus' darkest hour. Those who conclude that this psalm only refers to Jesus Christ and not to David take take this position uh, for four uh, main arguments. Number one is David was never forsaken by God. Verse 1 of the psalm, 22 says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? David could never really claim that. He might have felt at times that that he was struggling and maybe uh, he was, you know, running from Saul or something and he felt like he was in a pretty low position, um, pretty lonely, but God never forsook him like he did the Lord Jesus Christ when he was on the cross. Second one is David was never without someone to help. In verse 11, Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. David could never really claim that. Number three is David never had his hands and his feet pierced. Verse 16, For dogs have compassed me about, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. David could never claim that. And fourthly, David was never stripped of his clothing. In verse 18, They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. So for those four arguments, uh, that's how we can say that this psalm is prophetically speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ and not of David. Now certainly there are applications that we can draw, um, any of us can draw uh, from this psalm. However, this is one psalm that we must always connect to the Lord Jesus Christ. As Spurgeon said, there is much in this psalm that cannot be applied to any other than Jesus Christ. Only if we see Jesus Christ in this psalm may we experience the full majesty and splendor of the psalm. So the theme of this psalm is 
After Jesus Christ had cried to God in the midst of his personal suffering, he will praise God for the accomplishment of his eternal salvation. In Psalm 22, it's a very touching psalm. In the first part, Jesus cries out to God because of his trouble and his terrible suffering. But in the last part of the psalm, Jesus Christ praises God because of his tremendous salvation. The title of the psalm, uh, I won't pronounce it in in Hebrew um, or even the English transliteration of it, uh, but it means the hind of the morning. Now we know a hind is a deer, uh, it's a red deer. Uh, So using this imagery, the psalm was to be a psalm that gracefully moves and leaps from darkness to dawning and from sorrow to joy, from depth to height, just like a deer does when it's going through uh, the forest. The psalm breaks down into two main divisions. The prayer of the suffering Christ, number one, and secondly, the praise of the rejoicing Christ. So it breaks in between um, verse 22, uh, 21 and 22. So first of all, the first division, the prayer of the suffering Christ. In these verses, there are five prayer observations that we want to make. The first prayer observation is, prayer is made even in the moment of divine abandonment. In verses 1 through 5. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my roaring. O my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and I am not silent. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee, and were delivered. They trusted in thee, and were not confounded. So the first one was prayer is made even in the moment of divine abandonment. Verse 1 opens with the very words that Christ cried on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This does raise an interesting point in that even though Jesus felt forsaken, he was still praying to his Father, still praying to God. When Christ was groaning these words and deliverance seemed nowhere in sight, prayer was offered day and night. So Christ was praying there on the cross and possibly um, the night refers when he was praying the night before in in Gethsemane. Um, That's possibly what that's referring to. But God did not answer. There was a complete awareness of the fact that God was holy and was in sovereign control over everything that was happening. There was a complete awareness that God had delivered the Jewish fathers who trusted in him when they cried out to him. He answered them, but then when Christ is there on the cross and he's crying out, there was no answer. What What had happened to them was not happening to him. He was crying out day and night and God was silent. The big question in all of this is why? 
Why did God forsake his son who was crying out to him? The answer is because of us. We're included in this. Even 2,000 years later, we are included in this. He was there on the cross because of us. God was not in because of our sin and the sin of all people. He who knew no sin was made for us. He bore our sins in his own body on the cross so that we could be healed and made righteous in the sight of God. When Christ cried those words from the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Every person present there at the cross should have said it's because of me. That's what their response should have been. Far from that. No matter how distressed we have ever been in our sin, we have never experienced the agony and the abandonment that Christ experienced there on the cross when he bore our sin. That brings us to the second prayer observation. Prayer is made in a moment of public humiliation. Prayer is made in a moment of public humiliation. We find this in verses 6 through 8. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He stood on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. Jesus Christ was not esteemed. He was demeaned. He reached the lowest point possible. He says, I am a worm. Worm's not a very elegant creature. And no man, a reproach of men, and despised of the people. All the people there across were despising him. So he reached this lowest point possible. He lost all sense of human dignity. This is the Holy Son of God feeling less than a dog. He was a reproach to men. He was despised by men. He was not by men. And they all scoffed and said, let's see his God deliver him now. Don't overlook the fact that all who saw him sneered at him. They hurled one insult after another and actually mocked his faith in God. During times of great adversity, when it seems there has been divine abandonment, mockers and scoffers will rise to make the most of their opportunity. Let's face it, the Lord Jesus Christ looked like the loser when he was there on the cross. But we know the full story, and uh, he was not the loser, and he, he rose again three days later after he was in the tomb. The third prayer observation is prayer is made with a concept of God's sovereignty. Verses 9 through 11. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope I was in my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. So even though there was a sense of abandonment, the psalmist knew that God had ordained his life, and Christ knew that God had ordained his life for a very special purpose. God gave physical life, talking about the womb, he was born. He gave physical life, 
God gave faith life. He did make um, me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. God had given and could protection to his life in time of terrible trouble. Now, verses 10 and 11 there. The only person Jesus Christ rely on in this hour of his greatest need is God the Father. There are times in our lives when the only person we can rely on is God. Friends may forsake us, but we can always rely on God. He will prove to be sufficient for us. The fourth prayer observation is, prayer is made in the midst of great adversity. Verses 12 through 18. Many bulls have compassed me about. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a bird, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me about. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Christ was surrounded by the enemies there at the cross. There's the soldiers who crucified him. They were like these strong bulls of Bashan, being good-looking animals. I'm sure Tim has a few good-looking animals out there on the farm. These were strong. You could tell these bulls were very strong. Same with these Roman soldiers. They looked tough. They looked strong. They were in control of uh, this situation in putting Christ on the cross. There were, there were the Pharisees and the scribes, the elders, uh, the rulers. They were the ones with the power. Jesus was surrounded by people who appeared to be strong. And they were physically ripping him to shreds, just like one would do with a carcass. What we have in verses 14 through 18 is a remarkable prophetic description of Christ's crucifixion. The interesting point is, that this was written a thousand years before crucifixion was really even invented. Many years anyway. I'm not sure how many years, but a long time before crucifixion was even invented as a type of punishment. There are eight descriptions of what happens when one is crucified. The first one is in crucifixion, liquid leaves the body through the holes of the nails and through perspiration which becomes excessive as a man hangs in the hot sun. Verse 14, I am poured out like water. Number two, in crucifixion, bones slip out of joint as one hangs on the cross and loses his strength. Also in verse 14. Number three, in crucifixion, the heart weakens and ruptures. And what was once a strong muscle becomes weak and melted like wax. That's also in verse 14. Many physicians believe that this is what produced the blood and water uh, which came from Christ's side. 
was his ruptured heart. Number four, in crucifixion, all strength dries up in the hot sun and, be, and one becomes very weak in verse 15. Number five, in crucifixion, one becomes so thirsty that the tongue actually sticks to the mouth. Also in verse 15, one hanging across in the hot sun, your mouth be so dry that it just it sticks to the sides of your mouth. Six in crucifixion, Christ was surrounded by Gentiles. Now, many times in the Bible, when Gentiles are referred to, they're referred to as dogs. Um, so, Christ was surrounded by Gentiles or dogs. In verse sixteen. Number seven, in crucifixion, one, one's hands and feet are pierced with nails. Also in verse 16. In crucifixion, Jesus Christ was without clothing. They stripped him of his vesture. That's a word which means clothing. Notice the description of the fact that he can count. He could count all his bones. His clothes were off. He was, he was totally naked on the cross. And he looked down at his, his own body and see all of his bones. Just like you see sometimes people who are, are starved and you can see their, their rib cage. That's what it being because he was stretched out like that. So uh, all of his bones were just, just sticking out. They stare at me, it says. Christ was totally humiliated on the cross. And hanging there without clothing, he could look down and see people gambling for the clothing that he did have on. Spurgeon said, when a Christian fully grasps this, he will never roll dice and gamble ever again. The fact that our Lord's clothing was ruled for. So for us to then go and gamble, we, we should never... As Spurgeon said, uh, you, will, you will not do it because of uh, what it means to us. Jesus Christ was stripped of his clothing so we might be clothed with his righteousness. As I said before, that was one of the lines in the song. The first song we sang, I was like, oh, thank you, Lord. His physical clothing was moved as part of his suffering. We receive the spiritual clothing that we could wear for all eternity. Prayer observation number five. Prayer is made with anticipation of God's deliverance. Verse 19 through 21. Be not far from me, O Lord, O my strength. Haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorn. I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation. I will praise thee. <coughs> Sorry, I read one verse too many. Um, for Jesus Christ, this was the moment of true abandonment. But it wouldn't last for long. Christ cried out to God for swift deliverance. He cried knowing that God was not far from him. He would hasten to help him. When we have moments of what we feel as abandonment, all we need to do is pray. We can cry out to God knowing that he is not far from 
us. He can hear us, and he will be swift to help us. The second division in this psalm is from verse 22 through the rest of the chapter. The praise of the rejoicing Christ. We've, we've seen the suffering that Christ went through. It's quite a, an, uh, an eye-opener. It, it is quite... Um, makes us very thankful for our salvation because that's what the Lord had to go through for, for, in order for us to be saved. But then the second part is the praise of the rejoicing Christ. One commentator, as I said, there's, there's quite a few that believe that the, the whole entire psalm uh, was quoted on the cross. One such uh, said that this part of the psalm proves that Christ did not die defeated or depressed, but died victorious. If this is true, then there are seven thoughts that Christ had that brought him joy as he was hanging on the cross. So the first thoughts, Christ thought about testifying of God in the future to his brethren and to the assembly. In verse 22, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation. I will praise thee. This clearly has a reference to worship services that will take place in the temple in Jerusalem. There will be a community of people who will participate in this. The second thought is Christ's thought about those of Israel who fear God and will, who will praise God. Verses 23 and 24. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him, all ye seed of Jacob. Glorify him and fear him, all ye seed of Israel. For he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard. The four, in uh, verse 24 there, explains the specific praise that those who fear God will give. It will be a praise that he answered the prayer of the afflicted. Christ delivered him from the grave. Thought number three. Christ thought about the future worship and praise services. In verse 25, my praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. Christ looked beyond the cross. He looked to the great assembly and the gathering of people who loved God and feared God. This would be a service in which all the redeemed would sing and worship. Jesus Christ loves worship. And he was actually thinking about, it includes us, it includes Israel, all those who will be in heaven, who will be worshipping him. He was thinking about that as he was on the cross. Thought number four, Christ thought about the affliction and eternal deliverance of those right with God. In verse 26, the meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. Christ was looking beyond the cross into eternity. And he found joy hanging there on the cross, thinking about those who would live with him and praise him. Thought number five. Christ thought about the world in which all people would love God and worship God in verse 27. 
For all the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all kindreds of the nations shall work before thee. We know every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We cannot worship the Lord until we turn to the Lord. One must go to Calvary. Number six, Christ thought about the sovereignty of God and a time when his sovereignty would be seen by all. Verse 28, for the kingdom is the Lord's and he is the governor among the nations. Thought number seven, Christ about the future physical and spiritual prosperity that would one exist worldwide. 29 through the rest of the, the chapter there. All they that be fat upon the earth shall eat and worship. All they that go down to the dust shall bow before him, and none can keep alive his own soul. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall mourn that he hath done this. This physical and spiritual prosperity includes us. You see there in verse 31 to a people that shall be born he's not talking about israel he's already talked about them they were the chosen ones he's talking about a people that shall be born it includes us even today when christ hung on the cross he thought about us so in closing psalm 22 is a psalm about jesus christ's suffering he suffered the most so he could save the least all he asks is that we believe on him. So simple. All we have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and we shall be saved. He became sin for us. And if we believe in him, we will become righteousness in the sight of God. Notice in verse 29, none can keep his own soul alive. There is only one way to have a soul alive to God, and that is to look to the cross. And the one hanging on it, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and your soul is saved forever. Let's pray, close there. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this tremendous psalm. It's, it tells us so much about the death of our Lord and Saviour. And we thank you for what he went through in order that we could be saved. There's no way that we can possibly comprehend exactly what he went through in all the pain and suffering but we thank you uh, that, that you sent him to the earth to do that thank you for your great salvation lord i pray that if there's anyone here tonight that does not know you as their savior i pray that they would just have learned maybe a little bit more tonight and uh lord that they would consider the man that died on that cross for the sins of all the world Lord, I pray as we go from here that you would keep us safe on the roads as they are wet. Lord, I pray that you would uh, just give us a good rest of the week. Pray, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts for uh, the weekend and the, the meetings and the, the special speakers there. Lord, I pray that you would uh, just help with their final preparation as well. That it would be a blessed time when we can all come together and learn more about yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.